to have you guys with us here tonight on a very rainy night, but God is good to bring us together to look into his word, and we will do so beginning here in uh, Exodus chapter 25, looking at chapters 25 and 26 tonight as we continue our study through the book of Exodus, Exodus 25 and 26, got to get a a good look at the building of the Ark of the Covenant, the sanctuary, the tabernacle of the Lord. And uh, we'll do so as we continue through this. It's not merely contained in two chapters. It goes further than that. So let's go ahead and open in prayer. and We'll get into a teaching of God's word. Father, we thank you for this night to come together to worship you. We thank you, Father, for those who may be at this hour listening to us on our radio ministry, also, Lord, those who are taking advantage of the video, whether through our website or through social media, I pray, Father, your blessing upon the teaching of your word, whether people have gathered here or they're in their homes or in their cars, wherever they might be. We ask, Lord, that you would watch over us each. Bless, Lord, the teaching of your word. Give us understanding that things we perhaps have not seen before. Also, Lord, increase our love for you and our love for Jesus. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. So Exodus 25, the building of the sanctuary as Moses is there on Mount Sinai, waiting upon the Lord and the Lord revealing to him this massive work that he is calling the children of Israel to do to construct a tabernacle, a place of worship for the children of Israel, but also a place where God's spirit might dwell among him, among them, uh, that he would be in the midst of their camp. And so Moses is on the mountain with the Lord, receiving from the Lord, and not only the Ten Commandments, but instructions on building the tabernacle. And we begin in verse 1, it says, And the Lord spoke to Moses and said, Speak to the children of Israel, that they may bring me an offering. And so we begin with God preparing the children of Israel to bring a free will offering to the Lord, and very specific about the offering itself. As we find as we just summarizing verses 3 through 7, God gave Moses specific materials that he was to collect from the children of Israel, that is of precious metals like gold, silver, and bronze, threads of blue, purple, and scarlet, fine linens, goat hair, ram skin dyed red, badger skins, acacia wood, oil for the lights, spices for the anointing oil, and the sweet incense, onyx stones and stones that were to be set in the ephod, and the breastplate of the high priest's attire. And all these were to be given as a free will offering to the Lord. 
In verse 2, he continues, he says, From everyone who gives it willingly with his heart, you shall take my offering. So an offering given to the Lord that was to be given freely from the people, willingly with his heart. And they were, verses 8 and 9, to make a sanctuary. And God said that I may dwell among them according to all that I show you, that is the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of all its furnishings, just so you shall make it. So as God revealed to Moses there on the mountain, he was to take the plans and not only receive this offering, but construct the tabernacle as designed by the Lord. And this is was important because... The tabernacle itself was a copy and a shadow of heavenly things according to Hebrews 8.5. So the earthly tabernacle and the earthly temple that would come later gives us a sense of the real holy place and holy of holies there in heaven. In Hebrews 8.5, a copy and shadow of the heavenly things. Therefore, the Lord was using these earthly things to teach Israel about heavenly things. And more importantly, God desired to dwell among the people in a place that would be most holy to the nation of Israel. And his presence, as we will learn when they set the camp up, we'll discover that the tabernacle itself was to be at the center of the camp. The 12 tribes of Israel would be arranged around it in a specific order, always in the same order. And their tent doors were always to face inward toward the tabernacle. When they get up in the morning and get out of their tents, they would look over and see the Shekinah glory or the fire by night and the cloud by day hovering there over the tabernacle. His very presence, the very presence of God at the center of their camp and hopefully at the center of their hearts. And that was the desire of the Lord, that he would be at the center of our hearts. And one day the Lord will tabernacle himself among us, not on this earth, but in Revelation 21.3 it says, I heard a voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. And this is the uh, creating of the new heaven and a new earth. The tabernacle of God is with men. He will dwell with them and they shall be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. Now what stands out is the free will offering that Moses was instructed to ask, very specific offering, but instructed by God to ask the children of Israel that they were to freely give to the Lord and it was to be from their hearts. It reminds us of 2 Corinthians 8, 12 that says, For if there is first a willing mind... It is accepted according to what he has, not according to what he does not have. A willing mind. And Paul specifically talking about a collection that the Gentile churches were taking up that they might, through Paul and the other apostles, send it to Jerusalem 
and the church there in Jerusalem that was struggling greatly at that time. But Paul said, at first, a willing mind. And it had to be with what one has, not according to what one does not have. So if you're not a millionaire, don't pledge a million dollars. It's not going to work. But what comes to mind within your provisions that the Lord has given you, giving a percentage back to the Lord. And to do so, 2 Corinthians 9, 7, each one should purpose in his heart, not grudgingly, not of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. And this cheer, cheerful giver here is the word that we get hilarious from, from the Greek word, we derive hilarious from it, but it does not quite mean the same thing we think about when we think about hilarious. It does denote being happy or glad, but a cheerful state of mind and not one who is overcome with laughter or mirth or drunkenness, but one who is just has this great cheer because of their service to the Lord. So Malachi 3.10, speaking about the offering, God says, Bring all the tithes into my storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open up for you the windows of heaven and pour out on you such blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. The only time in all of the scripture that God challenges us to test him. We are often being tested by this life and by Satan, by God himself. But one time God says, try me in this. It's about our giving. And here in Malachi 3.10, it's a matter of bringing the tithes in. In Exodus 25, it's a free will offering that's being received for the Lord. But to do it willingly. I was talking to somebody a few weeks ago about a church buying property when I was a kid. Our church at First Baptist Church in Winthrop Harbor, Illinois, that uh, they bought new property. They're building a building. And um, my mom and dad had these five little vials of dirt. I believe they paid 50 to to $100 a vial uh, to help buy the land that they would build the building on that still stands there to this day. And uh, they kept those. I'm sure they did it hilariously in this sense of the Greek word with glad hearts to bring an offering to the Lord. All they got out of that offering was some dirt, but it was soil that was dedicated to God and has since been serving the community there in Winthrop Harbor for all those years since. So the Ark of the Covenant, verses 10 through 22, verses 10 and 11, it says, And they shall make an ark of acacia wood, two and a half cubics shall be its length. <coughs> a cubic and a half its width, and a cubit and a half its height, and shall overlay it with gold inside and out, and you shall overlay it, and shall make on it a molding of gold all around. So we have a lot of reading. It's a lot of description of the building of the tabernacle. But I'm going to go ahead and just read what the Bible says and then make some commentary on it. 
picking up in verse 12. And you shall cast four rings of gold for it and put them in its four corners. Two rings shall be on one side, two on the other side. And you shall make poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold. And you shall put the poles into the rings on the sides of the ark that the ark may be carried by them. And the poles shall be in the rings of the ark and they shall not be taken from it. And you shall put into the ark of the testimony, which I will give you, which we know later on would be the Ten Commandments, uh, Aaron's rod that budded, and a jar of manna. You shall make the mercy seat of pure gold. Two and a half cubits shall be its length, and a cubit and a half its width. And you shall make two cherubim of gold of hammered work. You shall make them at the ends, at the two ends of the mercy seat. Make one cherubim at one end, the other cherubim at the other end. You shall make the cherubim at the two ends of the one piece of the mercy seat. And the cherubim shall stretch out their wings above, covering the mercy seat with their wings, and they shall face one another. And the faces of the cherubim shall be toward the mercy seat. So bowing down, looking at the mercy seat with their wings extended toward each other. You shall put the mercy seat on top of the ark and the ark you shall put in the test put in you shall put the testimony that i will give you and there i will meet with you and i will speak with you above the mercy seat from between the two cherubim which are on the ark of the testimony of all things which i will give to you in commandment to the children of israel so cherubim are a class of angels that we always find around the throne of God. So it's not strange to find that he would have these figures of two cherubim facing one another over the mercy seat from the place where God would meet the children of Israel. The first piece of furnishing that... It's actually two pieces. It's a box, the Ark of the Covenant, a box that held the Ark, but it had no lid. The lid became what we know as the mercy seat that would cover the Ark of the Covenant. Both pieces were made of acacia wood and covered with pure gold. And the Ark was to hold the testimony, the two stone tablets that the Lord would give to Moses upon which were written the Ten Commandments. And the person, purpose of the mercy seat was to cover the ark with God's mercy lest he would break out against the children of Israel because of any of the violation of the law of God, the Ten Commandments, the law. We have one incident when the Ark of the Covenant was captured by the Philistines and as it found its way back to Israel and some of the children of Israel opened the ark. They removed the mercy seat, to, I think, just to make sure it contained what it was supposed to contain. But the Lord did break out upon the children of Israel, and there was some 70,000 that died as a result of that. God's judgment without God's mercy is certain death, but God's judgment that is covered by the mercy of God, we find that there is forgiveness and peace. Hebrews 9, 3 through 5 says, And behind the second veil, in the part of the tabernacle 
which is called the holiest of all, or the holy of holies, which had the golden censer and the ark of the covenant overlaid on all sides with gold, in which were the golden pots of manna, Aaron's rod that budded, and the tablets of the covenant. And above it were the cherubim of glory overshadowing the mercy seat. So God began by detailing the most holy piece of furniture in the tabernacle, the Ark of the Covenant. And the Ark was holy because it contained the law of God. It was holy because it would be in the presence of God himself. So holy was the Ark that it was never to be touched. And that's the poles. They put four rings on either side had the poles to carry it by. They would insert the poles. And once those poles went into the Ark of the Covenant, they were never to be removed. In fact, when Solomon built the temple and they moved the Ark of the Covenant into the Holy of Holies in Solomon's temple, 1 Kings 8.8 tells us the poles extended so that the ends of the poles could be seen from the holy place in front of the inner sanctuary, but they could not be seen from the outside, and they are there to this day. So the priest could only enter, the only, the high priest could enter into the Holy of Holies on the Day of Atonement once a year. The other priest who served in the holy place, where we'll learn of the table of showbread, the menorah, um, the altar of incense, the other priests who ministered daily in the holy place, well, they would see the poles sticking through the curtain, the veil between the holy of holies and the holy place. And they'd know that the Ark of the Covenant was there. They would know that the presence of God was there. But they could not look in. The mercy seat is translated in the Greek as hilasmas. And it means to appease, it means to cover. In the Hebrew, it's kafar, again, to cover, to make atonement. And Jesus has now become that covering of mercy for us. Just like the mercy seat was for the Ark of the Covenant in the Old Testament, now Jesus has become that covering for our sins as his work upon the cross, as we celebrated last Sunday. His, and last weekend on Good Friday, uh, remembering his death, but on Sunday, remembering his glorious resurrection. So the Ark of the Covenant once a year had to be atoned for. The sins of Israel were made, were atoned for once a year when the high priest entered in with the blood, Exodus 30, verse 10, on the Day of Atonement, he would sprinkle the blood seven times, once for his own sins. He would leave. He'd return again and sprinkle blood on the horns of the altar seven times for the sins of Israel to make atonement through all your generations. Now, Jesus becoming that copy and that covering of mercy for us, he stands between uh, the holy God and us. He is that hilasmas. He is that propitiation, according to 1 John 4.10. In this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation, to be a covering 
for our sins. And it's through the blood of Jesus Christ that sinners may find mercy and forgiveness of their sins. Again, John wrote in 1 John 2, 2, for he himself is our propitiation, that covering. He himself is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but for the whole world. And by sending Jesus to be that propitiation, God has demonstrated his love and his righteousness, which says in Romans 3.25, whom God sent forth, talking about Jesus, whom God sent forth as a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance God has passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at this present times, Romans 3.26, to demonstrate at this present time his righteousness that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus Christ. God did for us, as I said on Sunday, what we could not do for ourselves in offering his son Jesus upon the cross that we might obtain mercy and come into fellowship with the Lord. So the place was holy because God made it holy. His presence was there. He next begins to talk about the table of showbread in verses 23 through 29. And this is just the instructions that they were to build, how they were to build these things. In verses 23 and 24, it says, You shall also make a table of acacia wood. Two cubits shall be its length, a cubit shall be its width, a cubit and a half its height. And you shall overlay it with gold and make a molding of gold all around it. So the second piece of furnishing was the table of showbread that was found in the holy place, not in the holy of holies, but in the holy place where the priest would minister daily. And it would display 12 loaves of bread that represented the 12 tribes of Israel. Uh, table of showbread or the bread of presence, it's also called in Scripture. And these loaves of bread were made with the finest flour. They represented the 12 tribes of Israel. And the loaves were holy because they were in the presence of the Lord. And thus, when they were replaced each week on the Sabbath, only the priests were allowed to eat from this bread. So we pick up reading about the table of showbread again. I'll just read through the description that God gave to Moses, picking up in verse 25. And you shall make for it a frame of the hand breadth all around. You shall make a gold mold molding for the frame all around. You shall make for it four rings of gold and put rings on the four corners that are at its legs and the rings shall be close to the frame and its holder for the poles to bear the table and you shall make poles of acacia wood overlay them overlay them with gold that the table may be carried with them and you shall make its dishes its pans its pitchers its bowls for pouring you shall make them of pure gold and you shall set the showbread on the table always before me. The bread of presence, the table of showbread. And it was made holy because of being in the presence of the Lord. And yet this bread we find that David and his men 
In the days of David, before he became king of Israel, when Saul was hunting him down, when he was found hungry, in 1 Samuel 21, 1 through 9, it tells us that David and his men had fled from Samuel, who was attempting to kill David, and they went to the priest in Shiloh at that time where the tabernacle was, and he had no weapons, and the priest gave him the sword of Goliath. They had no food, and the priest gave him the bread that came from the table of showbread, not the bread that was on the table, but the bread that they replaced with it. So the bread that had sat a week in the presence of the Lord, and they ate of it. This was something that only the priests were to eat. In Leviticus 24.9, it tells us, And for Aaron and his sons, they shall eat in the holy place. They couldn't even bring it home with them. They had to eat in the presence of the tabernacle in the holy place. For it is most holy to him, and the offering of the Lord made by fire by a perpetual statute. Yet when Jesus was questioned by the religious rulers about his apostles, um, taking heads of grain and just plucking the wheat and rubbing it in their hands, blowing away the shaft and chewing on the kernels that remained, they were accused of working on the Sabbath. And Jesus showed them that human need can supersede the letter of the law. He said in Matthew 12, 3 and 4, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry? He and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and ate the showbread, which is not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who are with him, but only for the priests. There are times when human need will supersede the letter of the law. And here was an instant incident where grace was shown to David that he was able to consume food that was not meant for future kings of Israel. This, though, was not the case with the disciples. They were not breaking God's law. They were just snacking on wheat on the Sabbath day, which was lawful for them to do, but it was breaking the traditions that had formed around God's commandments. And we have those things that can happen in the church where we develop these traditions within the church that we sometimes think, when someone oversteps the traditions of the church, we almost act as if they're breaking the very law of God when we're just simply overstepping traditions. And being the age I am and as a youth coming up in the church and at a church in Libertyville, we were uh, asked by the pastor at that time, me, a friend of mine named John who played guitar, myself as a bass player, and they wanted to introduce uh, worship music to our church. Up to that point, the church had always only known piano and organ, and we sang hymns all the time. And they wanted to introduce worship music in our church, and they knew that they would have a fight. So uh, this is going back to when I was in my mid-twenties, so a couple of years ago. But 
they said on Sunday night, can you and John, and I'm John too, John, John, can you with uh, our pianist begin to play music? And they thought they would slowly introduce it to the church. And it did go through some kind of fights that uh, they had during their meetings and stuff, but we got it done. And uh, before long, we had a full band and it was a large church that could seat some 600 people in the sanctuary, maybe 400 attending on any given Sunday. And uh, before long, we had a full band, uh, drums, guitar, bass, piano, saxophone. Um, You don't see saxes too often in a church, but we had a sax player, so we used him. And uh, God used it and kind of had us in that. It was seemingly breaking away from tradition, but it was learning to do ministry in a new and a different way, a fresh way. So we need to be careful when in church life, when we get kind of bent out of shape over traditions that have nothing to do with the word of God. So he moves on the menorah and it actually finishes out in verses 31 through 40, talking about the menorah, the candlestick, the seven uh, armed lampstand that is so familiar to us from the nation of Israel and in Israel today, they've actually recreated the menorah that when they build the third temple, they already have the menorah on display in the heart of Israel today. And uh, we've, Lily and I, we've seen that menorah. It's really big. Um, it's not a little like we have one out in the foyer and the hutch in the foyer that's really small. This menorah is quite the size. And so we begin verse 31. It says, You shall make a lampstand of pure gold. The lampstand shall be of hammered work. Its branches, its bowls, its ornamental knobs and flowers shall be of one piece. Six branches shall come out of its side. Three branches of the lampstand out of one side, three branches of the lampstand out of the other side, three bowls shall be made like almond blossoms on one branch and with an ornamental knob and a flower and three bowls like almond blossoms on the other branch with an ornamental knob and flower. And so for the six branches that come out of the lampstand, on the lampstand itself, four bowls shall be made like almond blossoms, each with ornamental knobs and flower. And there shall be a knob under the first two branches of the same, a knob under the second two branches of the same, a knob under the third two branches of the same, and the six branches that extend from the lampstand. So you have the center light in the middle. Their knobs shall be branches, shall be of one piece, and it shall be of hammered, one hammered piece of pure gold and you shall make seven lamps for it and they shall be arranged its lamps so that it will give light in the front of it and its wicks wick trimmers its trays of pure gold shall be made of a talent of pure gold with all of its utensils and see that you make them according to the pattern which was shown you on the mountain 
So the final piece of furnishing mentioned here in this chapter is the golden lampstand, the menorah. As I said, Lily and I have uh, visited Israel one time in our life, and it was a trip of a lifetime. I'd love to go back. But while we were there, we went to the Temple Institute. But you didn't have to go to the Temple Institute to see the menorah there at the Temple Institute, they have made a lot of the things that we will be reading about over the next several weeks. The articles of clothing for the priest and the high priest, uh, the all the instruments that are used in service in the temple. As we read about the uh, wick trimmers and the uh, vessels that they would use with the menorah. But the menorah itself, it's in the heart of the old city of Jerusalem. It's on display, actually underground, so it's protected. And you go in this underground tunnel, and there in the middle of that tunnel, you'll find the menorah there. Only the priests were to tend the menorah, who trimmed its wicks, resupplied its oil in the morning and the evening, that its light would never go out. Exodus 27 20 says, And you shall commend or command the children of Israel that they should bring pure oil of pressed olives for the light to cause the lamp to burn continually. And in Revelation 1 12 and 13, we find that Jesus is found standing, as John said, I turned, I to see the voice that spoke to me, I turned and I saw seven golden lampstands. In the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to his feet, girded about the chest with gold. His countenance was like the sun shining in its strength. So the menorah here on earth is merely a copy of the light that's found, the seven golden lampstands there in heaven that John got to witness and to write to us about. And he saw Jesus standing in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. He saw Jesus transfigured, his face shining like a great light. And in fact, in the New Jerusalem, Revelation 21, 23, it says, The city will need no sun or moon to shine, for the glory of God illuminated it, and the Lamb is its light. So God said, make, see to it that you make them according to the pattern which was shown you on the holy mountain, the pattern of heavenly things. Hebrews 8.5 says, that serve as a copy and a shadow of heavenly things as Moses was divinely instructed when he was about to make the tabernacle, for he said, See that you make all things according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. He wasn't supposed to make any tweaks, any adjustments. No, I think it would look better with uh, ten lampstands instead of seven, the menorah. And we do have a menorah that has additional lights on it for Hanukkah, but that's a different story for another time. But Jesus is the fulfillment of these things. And I believe that's why God is so strict. It's a copy of heaven, but we find we see Jesus in a lot of this. Jesus became flesh. He dwelt among us. 
he tabernacled himself that we might behold his glory and the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth, according to John 1.14. One day we will see our Savior in the splendor of his majesty. So in Exodus 26, he continues to speak about the tabernacle and its construction, but now it's the tent himself that he's going to deal with. So dealing with the tent. And the tabernacle, we'll discover, is described in the making of the tent from the inside out. So verse 1, Moreover, you shall make the tabernacle with ten curtains of fine woolen linen and blue, purple, and scarlet thread with artistic designs of cherubim. You shall weave them. So the tabernacle, verses 1 through 6, I'll read the whole thing for us to get the context. The length of each curtain shall be 28 cubits, and the width of each curtain, 4 cubits. That would be uh, 42 feet by 6 feet. So some big 42-foot long curtain. Uh, This is 40 feet across. Just get an idea of it. It's a long curtain. But there were ten of them, and every one of the curtains shall have the same measurements. Five curtains shall be coupled to one another, and the other five to one another. You shall make loops of blue yarn on the edge of the curtain. And likewise, you shall go on the outer edge of the curtain of the second set. Fifty loops you shall make on the one curtain. Fifty loops you shall make on the edge of the curtain that is on the end of the second set, and the loops may be clasped together to one another. You shall make 50 clasps of gold and a couple of the curtains and couple the curtains together with the clasp so that they may be one tabernacle. And so the various pieces of fine linen uh, and facing inward toward the tabernacle Uh, This weaving, so if you were to see it from the outside, you would see the back of the uh, embroidery of this purple, blue, and scarlet thread making these cherubims weaved into it. And cherubim, again, associated with a class of angels that are always found at the throne room of God. So they had ten panels, five on each side, looped together, Uh, Each panel was, as I said, they would have been 42 feet by 6 inches, uh, depending on the size cubit that you are using. So most people say it's a measurement from a man's elbow to the tip of his finger, and they say that's about 18 inches. I think mine's 19. I measured it once only because of the Bible. I wanted to see. So depending on the length you're using... And they were clasped together with gold and faced inward toward the Holy of Holy and the Holy Place. This fine linen curtain of blue, purple, and scarlet thread with cherubim uh, woven into them, clasped with these golden clasps, speaks about the inner beauty of Christ himself. In Hebrews 8, 1 and 2, 
Now this is the main point of the things we are saying. We have such a high priest who is seated at the right hand of the throne of majesty in heaven, a minister of the sanctuary of the true tabernacle which the Lord erected and not man. Remember, this is a copy of the heavenlies. And in the heavenlies, Christ Jesus is the true high priest. And Jesus himself is that beauty of perfection that shines forth from God according to Psalms 50, verse 2. The second layer, and this tent is made with layers, black goat's hair curtains. 7 through 13, we pick up reading, And you shall make a curtain of goat's hair to be a tent over the tabernacle, and you shall make 11 curtains, and the length of each curtain shall be 30 cubits, and the width of the curtains, 4 cubits, so 45 feet by 6 feet, so a little larger to go over it. And 11 curtains shall be have all the same measurements. And you shall couple 5 curtains by themselves, 6 curtains by themselves. You shall double over the 6th curtain, at the forefront of the tent to make the door. You shall make 50 loops on the edge of the curtain that the outermost in one set and 50 loops on the edge of the curtain. On the second set, you shall make them 50 bronze clasped and clasped into the loops and couple the tent together that it may be one. And the remnants of that remains of the curtain of the tent and the half curtain that remains shall hang over the back of the tabernacle and the cubic on one side and the cubit on the other side. And what remains of length of the tent shall hang over the sides of the tabernacle on one side and that of the other. And so this black uh, goat hair curtain is dyed black. And uh, overlaid the linen that faced the inner of the sanctuary itself. And so weather resistant, no doubt, out in the the weather, it's a tent, right? Weather resistant, but also the black. It really uh, speaks about Jesus and the sins that he bore on his own body, the inner beauty of Christ, pure and without sin. And yet he took our sins upon him, 1 Peter 2.24, He himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree that we, having died to sins, might live to righteousness by whose stripes we are healed. And so this speaks about that doctrine of the doctrine of atonement, the substitute of Christ who suffered in our place upon the cross. As in 2 Corinthians 5.21, it says, For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So perhaps this black goatskin covering reminds us of the sin that was placed upon Jesus there at the cross. But then the next cover, we have both ram and badger skin. The ram, in verse 14 was dyed red, and this became the third layer of the tent. Dyed red, it's a great illustration of the blood of Christ that covers our sins. In 
Leviticus 17:11, for the life of the flesh is in the blood. Therefore, I give it to you to make atonement upon the altar for your souls, for it is the blood that makes atonement for your souls. And again, the author of Hebrews repeats a very similar thing in Hebrews 9:22. for according to the law, almost all things are purified with blood and without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. So the covering of Christ's blood, as in 1 John 1, 7, it says, the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. And then the badger skins, making it waterproof, weather-resistant, this fourth layer. It's pretty common in appearance. So you have this tabernacle on the inside. You have all these uh, golden as we'll read about golden planks and uh, fine linen and golden furniture. And then you layer out a black goatskin covered, covering over the uh, fine linen. And then the ram skin dyed red over the black skin. And then the badger skin made it a very common appearance from the outside. You may not think too highly of it. Reminding us that Jesus Christ himself, according to Isaiah 53, 2, he had no form, no comeliness, no beauty that we should desire him. And then the frames, verses 15 through 29. And I'll read it through. We'll just stick with reading. Where are we? Got time. For now, the tabernacle, you shall make boards of acacia wood standing upright. Ten cubits shall be the length of the board, and a cubit and a half shall be its width on each side. So that would be 15 feet. The board length would be 15 feet, two feet, three inches wide. And when you put it all together, it would be 45 feet on the north and south wall and 15 feet on the west wall. And he doesn't mention the east wall because that becomes the door. So verse 17, two tenions shall be in each board for binding one to another. And thus it shall make for all the boards of the tabernacle. You shall make the boards for the tabernacle, 20 boards on the south side. You shall make 40 sockets of silver under the 20 boards, two sockets under one board for its two tenions and two sockets on the other side for its two tenions. And on the second side of the tabernacle, the north side, there shall be 20 boards, 40 sockets of silver, two sockets under one board for two sockets under the other board. And the far side of the tabernacle, westward, you shall make six boards. You shall make two boards, two for the back corners of the tabernacle, they shall be coupled together at the bottom and they shall be coupled together at the top by one ring and thus shall they be for both of them and they shall be for the two corners. And there shall be the eight boards with their sockets of silver and 16 sockets, two sockets under one board and two sockets under another board. You shall make bars of acacia wood, five bars for the board on one side of the tabernacle, five bars for the boards. On the other side of the tabernacle, five bars for the boards of the side of the tabernacle for the far side westward, the back wall. 
And the middle bar shall pass through the midst of the boards from end to end, and you shall overlay the boards with gold, make their rings of gold as holders for the bars, and overlay the bars with gold. So the frame, <laughs> that's a pretty fancy frame, but that's what we were describing. The frame that would hold the curtains. And, and just imagine the weight of the linen and the goat hair and the ram skin and the badger skin. That It was quite a heavy thing that was being constructed here. And everything of this frame overlaid with gold, pure gold. Acacia wood is a hard, very heavy, indestructible by insects, uh, very fine and beautiful grain, and it was suitable for the work that it was used here for the tabernacle construction. The silver sockets that supported the frames were made from the atonement money, according to Exodus 30, 11 through 16, they collected uh, half a shekel from every man in the nation of Israel, and they would take that atonement money to make these silver sockets to erect the frame. So silver and gold seen in this. In Exodus 30, 12, 13, and 14, but I broke this up just a little bit. God required upon every man of Israel every man to give a ransom for himself to the Lord, half a shekel according to the shekel of the sanctuary from 20 years old and above shall be given an offering to the Lord. So for their atonement, they had to purchase their atonement. Today, Christ is the one who has purchased our atonement through his work upon the cross. We don't rest upon silver sockets to hold up a tent. We rest upon the atoning work of Jesus Christ. Acts 20, verse 28 says, Therefore take heed to yourself and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God which was purchased, which he purchased, which Jesus Christ purchased with his own blood. And finally, the assembly of the tabernacle. Again, verse 30, you shall raise it up according to its pattern. And I'll finish out reading the text. You shall raise it up according to the pattern which was shown you on the mountain. You shall make a veil of woven of blue, purple, and scarlet yarn of fine linen, and it shall be woven with artistic design of cherubim. You shall hang it over the four pillars of the acacia wood overlaid with gold, and their hooks shall be of gold upon the sockets of silver. And you shall hang the veil from the clasp. Then you shall bring the ark of the testimony therein. Behind the veil, and the veil shall be a divider for you between the most holy place and the holy of holies. And... So I read that wrong. Between the holy place and the most holy, so the holy place and the holy of holies, you shall put the mercy seat on the ark of the testimony in the most holy. You shall set the table outside the veil and the lampstand across from the table on the side of the tabernacle toward the south, and you shall put the table on the north side 
And you shall make a screen for the door for the tabernacle woven of blue and purple and scarlet yarn and fine linen thread made by a weaver. And you shall make for the screen five pillars of acacia wood, overlay them with gold, with their hooks shall be of gold, and you shall cast five sockets of bronze for them. And so that just the last few verses talking about the entryway. So we've talked about the west wall, the back wall, the north wall and the south wall and the east wall. You always entered east, entered into the temple from the east. Uh, The king's entryway is on the east of Jerusalem. You come in through the east. So inside the tabernacle itself, there would be in the most in the holy place where the priest would minister daily. We'd find the Ark of the Incense, the menorah, and the table of showbread. In the Holy of Holies, there would be the mercy seat and the Ark of the Covenant where the priest would minister once a year on the Day of Atonement. Jewish historian Josephus wrote about the tabernacle and... uh, He's actually writing about the temple here of his day, but a description of what he wrote. He saw the temple before it was destroyed. But at the front, where the entrance was made, they placed pillars of gold that stood on bases of brass in number seven. And then they spread over the tabernacle veils of fine linen of purple and blue and scarlet colors embroidered. The first veil was 10 cubics every way. And this they spread over the pillars which parted the temple and kept the most holy place concealed within. And its veil was that which was made, this part not visible to any. Now the whole temple was called the holy place, but that part which was within the four pillars to which none were admitted was called the Holy of Holies. And the veil was very ornamental, embroidered with all sorts of flowers of the, which the earth produces. And there were interwoven into all sorts of variety that might be an ornamental, accepting forms of animals. Another veil there was covered with five pillars, and that were at the entrance... And it was like the former in its magnitude and texture and color and every corner of every pillar of ring retained at the top downward half the depth of the pillars and the other half afforded the entrance of the priest. So it went downward half the depth. So it went halfway down and the priest, they didn't open the curtain and walked in. They crawled under. Interesting. Over this, there was a veil of linen and of large, same largeness as the former. It was to be drawn this way or that way by cords and rings that were fixed at the texture of the veil and the cords also and were subservient to the drawing and the undrawing of the veil to be fastened at the corner. And then there'd be no hindrance to the view of the sanctuary, especially on solemn days. So they would open up that people could look in not the Holy of Holies, but at least see the holy place 
And if they looked in to see the holy place, they would see the golden rods coming out from the Holy of Holies, knowing that the tabernacle, that the Ark of the Covenant was there. Of the three metals that were used in the tabernacle, bronze is symbolic of judgment. Silver symbolizes redemption and gold. It is that of glory or purity, all of which speak of Christ. Therefore, God has built the tabernacle and described it from the inside out, from beauty to a very common appearance on the outside, but very beautiful on the inside. Such was Christ when he walked on this earth. Very common in appearance, but God himself, beautiful. Colossians 1.27 says, To them God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of the majesty among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And that inside out, as God described the tabernacle, that's the work he wants to do in our lives too. Working from the inside out that we might also find the forgiveness of Christ, but the beauty of God working in and through our lives. And let's go ahead and stand as I close. Here on Wednesday evenings, we've been accustomed to doing the ABCs of salvation, just a, a quick little method of sharing your faith with others, also helping them to understand the importance of coming to faith in Jesus Christ. The A stands for admit. We are to admit to God that we are sinners. We are to ask for his forgiveness. Romans 3.23 tells us that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But 1 John 1.9 says that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We're to admit to God that we are sinners. We're also to believe, believe in the atoning work of Jesus Christ, his death, burial, resurrection, and receive that gift of salvation. The Bible tells us in Romans 5, 8, that God demonstrates his own love toward us, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The C is for confess, to confess your faith in Jesus Christ, to share your faith with others. Romans 10, verses 9 and 10, it says that if you Confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You shall be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Romans 10:13. And whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Of course, for those who are here, if you need prayer, would like to talk with me, I'm here for you. If you're listening on the radio right now, watching through social media or through our website, or maybe you hear this message at a later date, but you have questions regarding faith, please email us at cclv at comcast.net, cclv at comcast.net. This coming Sunday, we continue our chronological journey through the Gospels, and we're going to be in the Gospel of John for two weeks. This Sunday, looking at John 3, verses 17 through 36, and I titled this Sunday's message, He Must Increase. And I hope 
to be with you again this Sunday, either here at the church through the radio ministry or through our video ministry. Let's go ahead and pray. Father, we thank you for your grace, and we ask, Lord, that you would be with us. We thank you for the teaching of your word. Let it be a nourishment to our souls. And the tabernacle itself, the temple, we find so much about it in Scripture. Rarely do we take the time to even look at the detail that was put into the construction of this. And we are going to spend some time learning about these details. Lord, you did this because the work of the priest among the people of Israel was to be holy and set apart because they served you, our holy God. And I pray, Father, that we would realize to this day that we serve the living God who is both the just and the justifier for those who come to faith through Jesus Christ. So we pray your blessing upon us this evening. Pray that you'd watch over and care for this church, for our families, for this nation, and for the world. And we know that you do. In the name of Jesus, amen. And God bless you guys.